0: and just like that the boots are laced up my hiking poles are in either hand i've got a backpack with camping gear stoves (laughs) i've got all those sort of accoutrements with me and i'm ready to embark on some hiking adventures Welcome to this episode of Tripology. I'm Alan, and I'm here with the ever-athletic Adam.
1: Oh, thanks very much for the kind words, Al, but I feel gross.
0: Why do you feel so gross for?
1: Well, as you and the listening audience will know, I went to San Francisco and Mexico City recently, and I spent a pretty penny. So now I've been trying to do the balance, as it were, And uh, I'm currently on a diet of those instant noodles.
0: So you're trying to recover financially, recuperate your costs, and it's affected primarily the culinary system in your household.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly that. I had a friend, I was talking to a friend uh, at the weekend, and he said that he was eating a lot of instant noodles. And I was like, I've never really got into those. Are they any good? He was like, yeah, I have two a day. They're great. I'm up to me eyeballs in MSG.
0: Really? Where I'm from, sometimes people eat those instant noodles without water. They just crunch them down. You're joking. Pop the mix on. (laughs) No, I'm not joking. It's a (laughs) delicacy where I'm from.
1: (laughs) What, like a little uh, energy bar just to sort of snack on? Yeah,
0: you'd have two in each back pocket. You'd whip them out in a crisis, crunch them down and then off about your day.
1: You know, the worst thing you can do with those instant noodles is look at the sodium content on the back of the packet. Don't do it. The worst thing you can do with any food stuff is look at the sodium
0: content or the sugar content or anything on the back of the packet. And (laughs) That's just part and parcel of the world we live in gastronomically.
1: Yeah, perhaps the worst thing you can do is actually consume them.
0: Definitely don't do that. (laughs) Adam, I have a topic in mind for today's episode. How about you?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. I know what the topic is.
0: Oh, we have the same topic in mind, or could it be that we, the Topology hosts, have done some forward planning? Who knows?
1: The only time that we talk to one another is when you hit the record button. We don't speak to each other during the week. There's absolutely no foreplanning. We're just on the same page.
0: Yeah, I don't even let Adam see me before the recording. (laughs) At the moment I hit record, a little curtain veil comes up, and he gets to see me for the first time that week. And I go, oh, you've had a shave. (laughs) Sometimes I have had a shave. Adam... This is what I want to talk about, meandering through mountains, pitching tents in front of panoramas, traversing all sorts of different terrain. I want to talk about another backpacker pastime, and that is going hiking. Whereas scuba diving, skydiving, bungee jumping and mountain climbing require the specialist use of equipment or specific knowledge. Everyone and anyone who goes backpacking will also find themselves hiking. It's a very easy, very attainable, and very often done thing in the backpacking community. Let's talk a little bit about it. What do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah, I love to. I've been out of shape recently, as we've just spoken about. But hiking, certainly a focus of mine when I'm traveling, when I'm away, I do like to explore. Um, and yeah, I do a fair bit of urban hiking, as we've heard, clocking up, you know, 10, 20 kilometers around a city, but nothing quite beats walking around, sort of as you suggested open farmland or mountains or volcanoes even. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a fantastic thing and uh, it will be featuring on a few episodes, no doubt.
0: Absolutely. Both of us have been fortunate enough to experience during our trips some wonderful hikes. I was inspired recently by that hike up Acatanango volcano in Guatemala. And I was just thinking about all the different hiking experience that I've accumulated during my travels. And it got me thinking that it's one of the best things about travel, isn't it? You form these close bonds with the people you're hiking with over hours and hours, going up hills and looking at beautiful things and talking with packs on your back and all that sort of stuff. It's really an important travel activity, so much so that in North America, I believe backpacking, the term backpacking, refers to the act of going hiking with a big bag on your back and hiking and camping and all that sort of jazz, rather than the act of being nomadic, traveling all in a carry-on bag and all that sort of stuff. So backpacking, hiking... There's a crossover. Let's talk about hiking.
1: Wicked. Yeah, and you just touched on a really important aspect. I think quite obviously in terms of the athletic or the exercise component of hiking, that's something really people are very, very interested in, mountaineering. Obviously, you've got these wonderful vistas that you could only maybe uh, achieve if you do hike somewhere over a period of days. But there's this team building, this bonding aspect. And when you go away for a a short time, might just be two days or a week or you're camping and stuff, You form these really tight bonds with the people you're with because you're all going through sometimes quite a difficult experience together and you want to encourage and support one another. So, yeah, but those are quite um, interesting to experience because they're not something sort of usual, are they?
0: I think it's a very unique type of bond that you form whilst hiking because rarely... In other situations where you have such an extended period of time where you're kind of side by side with another person, phones very much in pockets both headed towards a common goal. And at the end of it, you get sort of this release of finally getting to the top of the mountain, seeing the beautiful view. You've experienced that together. Perhaps you've gone through some adversity in the act of getting to the top of that mountain together. So you've got that. You've got lots of little team bonding experiences that accumulate as you go on the hike. And I think that's very conducive to forming important friendships very quickly.
1: Mm. Now, I must ask, and there's a reason why here, When you were living in Canada, in Alberta, I know that you were a stone's throw away from some wonderful countryside, forest areas, some beautiful hiking, of course, the jaw-dropping mountain range did you do much hiking? Because I haven't done as much hiking as I would have liked in Canada on account of all the bears.
0: Well, bears are an important thing to consider when hiking in Canada. Yeah, absolutely. I was kept sane living for two years in the same location by stripping out all the seats from my minivan. Apart from the front two seats, those are important for the driving. But all the (laughs) other seats in the back, I stripped out, put a mattress in the back and I would every Friday almost, go out into the wilderness to Elk Island, to Jasper, to Banff, to these places, and stare out at the Aurora Borealis during the evening, go out for long walks during the day, bear canister in hand always. I actually saw two grizzlies once whilst driving at the side of the road, and also heard a grizzly whilst on a hike one time, I had my bear spray with me, but I backed slowly off of the trail. It was quite a terrifying experience.
1: I don't know a lot about encountering a bear. The thing I do worry about is that my natural instinct would be to run. And I know that that is a big no-no. If you encounter a bear in Canada or anywhere, probably, (laughs) I think you should probably approach it the same way. I think you're supposed to make yourself as big as possible and make a lot of noise.
0: You are supposed... I think it depends on the bear, Adam. I think there's like very specific
1: advice for the different types. Oh, you've got to take time to analyse which type of bear it is. Let me just get my guide to bears out before you attack me.
0: It's very much a colour-based system for knowing what to do in various bear attacks. And I believe the adage is... If it's brown, lay down. If it's black, fight back. And if it's white, good night. <laughs> of course, referring to the, the common sense that if it's a grizzly bear, play dead. If it's a black bear, make yourself all big and tough and stand up to it. Yeah. And and if it is a bear of the polar variety, you haven't got a hope in hell of doing anything. It's the proverbial good night. <laughs>
1: And if you're somewhere where you encounter a polar bear, the likelihood is you've either fallen into a zoo enclosure or you're probably going to freeze to death anyway.
0: I mean, yeah, then hiking does require some specialist equipment (laughs) in the form of snowshoes, but it's very (laughs) unlikely to encounter a polar bear. The person I was hiking with when I heard that grizzly rustling through the undergrowth, she, she was a native Albertan. And so she was much more experienced in those situations. We both had the bear spray. She knew what to do. We just backed off the trail. She actually told me that she was more afeard of the cougar than of the grizzly bear. But for me, the cougar seems somewhat more amicable. I mean, at least I have a frame of reference. It's feline. I've seen a cat before, a grizzly bear, these ursine beer moths coming out from the undergrowth, all snarling, big pawed and aggressive. I wouldn't even like to think of the idea of one of those being on top of me. Doesn't matter how much jujitsu you do, you ain't getting a bear off of you.
1: No, I have heard other people say that actually, that they would rather encounter a bear than a cougar. And, you know, the advice that they sort of give when, when you encounter a bear, especially a grizzly, is oh, you know, you just roll up into the fetal position, make sure your backpack is on your back because the bear will slash at it and try to get to your organs. Play dead so it thinks that it's already killed you. It doesn't necessarily want to eat you, it just doesn't want you in its territory. And I'm there with my massive eyes going, sure. Sure, that sounds like sound advice. That's what I'll be thinking of when uh, you know I'm, I'm having my backpack ripped to shreds by the biggest animal, <laughs> one of the biggest land mammals there is. But the, someone told me that regarding a cougar, if you spot a cougar in the wild, it's been following you for hours.
0: I've heard that as well.
1: And that sends shivers down my spine.
0: Yeah, it's been following you for weeks sometimes. It's made a note of where you live. It's probably gone through your bins, seen your tax forms. It's probably had a driving licence made up with its face instead of your face. It's stealing your whole identity. (laughs) That is the very nature of the cougar.
1: (laughs) To use uh, some hiking phrasing, have we slightly gone off track? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) We've... (laughs) Totally. <laughs> to, to use some hiking phrasing, we've meandered
0: so far from the track. You know, when you're hiking, you often will follow poles with like a colour on to indicate your route. Mm. Sometimes from the same starting block, there'll be different routes that you can take. The green route, the blue route. We've meandered so far from green, blue, yellow, white or red that we're in the thick of the bush, <laughs> hacking away at trees with machetes, talking about bears. It's an animal <laughs> podcast. <laughs>
1: We've done so well, not to mention a bird up until now. That's just the way of it. Hiking,
0: ladies and gentlemen, another ubiquitous backpacking, travelling, nomadic activity. (laughs) I tell you what, going back to talking about the bonds that you make whilst hiking, Mm. I have a good example of this. And it's this group of travellers that I met in the town of Bariloche, which is in Argentina. And Patagonia is considered to be this hiking mecca. It's one of the gold standards of hiking whilst traveling. People flock from all around to hike the mountains in Patagonia. And I have to say, it really lived up to expectations. It's this beautiful, beautiful area of the world with some of the most exceptional hiking I've ever experienced. Oh, wow. And. I kind of set off through this journey around Patagonia and one of my very first mornings in this hostel in Bariloche, I met this group of people, all made of separate travellers, a couple of Australians, a girl from Honduras, a couple of people from the US. And we all decided to go and form a hiking team together and for the next two weeks we traversed Patagonia all as one unit hiking multiple day hikes, multiple two-day hikes, camping in tents to lagunas and all over Patagonia. It was Such an amazing time, and it all culminated at the end of the two weeks. It was Christmas Day, and we did like a secret Santa thing. And we all hiked together to the side of this place called Cerro Torre. It's one of the iconic hikes out of El Chalten in Patagonia. There's Cerro Torre and Cerro Fitzroy, and we hiked out there. We pitched tents, and we had the most amazing Christmas. The Israeli guy cooked this exceptional meal, and we sat in the tent by candlelight kind of exchanging our secret Santa gifts I'd written a poem for the American couple or someone else gave someone a journal a bracelet this sort of thing it was to this day my favorite Christmas ever because through all the hikes that we'd done together through all the conversations meandering up mountains and all that jazz we'd become a little family unit. Christmas is a time of year that galvanises travellers anyway because we're all together. We all have to be family. But through all the hiking, like these guys became such close friends. It was awesome.
1: Wow. That is amazing. And you do feel like you've experienced something really special with those people. I mean, I imagine that when you parted ways, it was... It was pretty tough. It was meaningful, right?
0: It was one of those where we slowly formed splinter groups and everyone broke off slightly individually. You know, I stayed on with the Israeli and the Australians and then it kind of splintered and petted out slowly. But to this day, they remain like some of my favourite hiking companions. We still have a group chat going on WhatsApp and all that stuff. And that, to me, really exemplifies what makes hiking such an extraordinary activity and something if someone asks you to go for a hike when you're in a hostel, say yes.
1: Yeah, completely. I mean, I was actually just chatting to a friend of mine yesterday who lives in the village I live in, and he is from Chile, but he spent nine years as a tour guide in Patagonia. Amazing. And I, I mentioned hiking and Patagonia and that kind of stuff, and he said, oh, mate, you, you don't even understand. Like, it's his heart is still there. So one of Alan's top wrecks, Patagonia, as a hiking Destination.
0: Absolutely. I mean, Chile and Argentina both have sections of the Patagonia region, and out of Chile, you have the Torre del Pan area, which is a very, very often recommended hiking route that you can do. There's a W Trek and an O Trek. Both of those are famous routes that you can take around the Toro del Pan region and they take three to five days and they're very, very often booked out completely. I did go to Toro del Pan, but I didn't do the W or the O-Trek. I actually went on Facebook and met a Dutch couple who were renting a car for the day and we all whipped around and did little day hikes all over the Toro del Pan area. But absolutely recommend El Chalten in Argentina for lots of cool day hikes, Fitzroy, Cerro Torre and Torre del Pan in Chile for the W Trek, the O Trek or just rent a car and experience day hikes from there as well. Amazing region, amazing mountains, beautiful memories there.
1: Wow. And if anyone wants to have a more in-depth conversation with us about it or, uh, you know, maybe receive an email about it, just send it in to the the email address, tripologypodcast at gmail.com. I'm going to sign my mate up. To helping out with some information as well seeing as he was a tour guide there for nine years so if you do have any questions about hiking in Patagonia send us an email we'll get back to you and we look forward to hearing from you.
0: Yeah or send us a direct message on Instagram at Tropology Podcast you could hear back from me you could hear back from Adam you could hear back from Adam's Chilean tour guide <laughs> friend who knows which of the Tropology team members you'll be getting a response from but rest assured you will be getting a response. <laughs>
1: You know, Al, one of the things I love about hiking is that as an activity, it's something that you can do very close to your home. You know, usually people live just a few minutes away or a short drive away from somewhere that they can hike. And that might be in the countryside. It might might be a mountain range. It might be through a forest. But I do think it's really important that people get out there in their spare time and go and do these things because it's kind of the most backpacker traveler thing you can do while still being at home.
0: That's true. It maybe is one of the only stereotypical backpacker activities that you can do without hopping on a flight, without going far afield to a distant land. There's almost certainly amazing hikes that you've never done before that are within a short drive or a bus fare's distance from where you live. And did we mention that it's free? It's almost entirely free you might have to buy a pair of shoes and a rain jacket in case it gets a bit rainy yeah
1: or where we live some bear spray
0: exactly there's certain costs to keep yourself safe and warm but apart from that entirely free
1: and the good it does you as well the good that hiking does your brain i find it therapeutic (laughs) it's
0: mentally therapeutic it's physically therapeutic it's an all-round beautiful activity i'm glad we've decided to do an episode (laughs) on it
1: (laughs) Wicked stuff. Well, do you think it's about time we shared a couple of stories?
0: I would love to share a couple of stories. I think I'd love to hear about some of your hiking experience and what makes hiking an activity that you recommend. I still have more to say. God knows there's never been a point where I haven't. But before <laughs> we do that, I think we should take a deep breath and just calm down, some. I think everyone's getting a little bit excited <laughs> and no one wants that too much. So I'd hope the audience will join us in a brief meditation break. And just like that, the boots are laced up. My hiking poles are in either hand. I've got a backpack with camping gear, stoves, one of those gas stoves that you have to buy propane for (laughs) and it cooks an egg in about half an hour. I've got all those sort of accoutrements with me and I'm ready to embark on some hiking adventures. Adam, I've been awfully verbose this episode. Perhaps you could regale us with a tale from hiking.
1: I'd love to. I mean, this was really only ever going to be the story that I told. Because when we decided to do an episode about hiking, this is both my worst experience and best experience. And not worse, necessarily negative, but certainly most difficult. And I've seen a lot of noise over the last few weeks even about people taking on this hike. And having done it myself, I do know just how taxing it is, both physically and mentally. So the story I'm going to share is from Mount Rinjani in Lombok. So Indonesian island, just next to Bali. Okay. So there's a volcano there, actually. And uh, don't let that deter you. The climb's much harder than the the risk of falling down that hole, (laughs) down that hot
0: hole. (laughs) 50% of the Tripology audience just ran a mile upon hearing that there was a volcano. (laughs) They scratched it off their to-do list.
1: (laughs) And um, I was originally told this by a friend when I was living in Melbourne. So I was going to Indonesia for a few weeks, and she said, oh, are you going to climb Mount Rinjani on Lombok? I said, no, no, I've never even heard of it. Go on, talk to me about it. She told us about the tale. She said it is by a country mile the hardest thing she's ever done in her life. And I was like, wow, that sounds incredible. Would you do it again? She was like, absolutely not. Never. (laughs) Never will I ever do it again. It was hell. I was like, ah. You're not really selling it to me. <laughs> How long are you on the hike for? You can either do a two-day, one-night, or you can do a three-day, two-nights. And we opted for the three-day, two-night. And what you do basically, you can start off from two opposite sides of the mountain. One of the villages you can start from is Sembalun, which is the one that we started from, and the other one is called Senaru. And uh, you know your itinerary changes ever so slightly as you do this uh, as you do this trip. It's actually for the first, I would say, few hours, it lures you into a false sense of security because the route that we took, you spend a couple of hours going over this kind of um, farmland almost, this very flat kind of savanna through some reeds and grass and stuff. You can obviously see the mountain in front of you. But uh, yeah, I was thinking, well, you know, the sun's out. This isn't too warm yet. It was pretty early on. I thought, this is, this is fine. How hard can it really be? Cut two. Four hours later, I was thinking this is a fucking joke. I mean, to be fair, we did go there in April and the mountain had only opened a week or two before. It had been the rainy season and you could see where the the rivers of water coming down from the mountain had created different cavities. And that had made things really difficult. We were scrambling for some of it, quite literally.
0: When you say the mountain had only just opened, you mean the humans had only just opened up passage to the mountain or the mountain itself had cracked (laughs) open like a duffel bag?
1: (laughs) No, the the season, sorry. The season had just started, so it closes in the winter. That's a very important piece of information. So, yeah, I don't know exactly when it closes, but I can tell you I think it opens for hiking roughly in March. And we were there just after the rainy season. So yeah, imagine lots and lots of rain, you know, Southeast Asia, big, big rainfall in the wet season. And um, the water, the rivers that were created by them sort of running down the mountain had created these huge crevasses and big sort of cavities that we had to jump over. And of course, the ground was still a little bit wet. So some people were like just slipping straight down the cracks and we had to pull them out. It was
0: really, was that life-threatening?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll get onto something that's probably even more dangerous later on, right. but I'm not going to tell you name, the name of the company. What I will say is that me and my partner at the time, we chose to go for the cheapest option available. You know, I think a few hundred dollars, right? And you get three day, two night, all your foods included, the equipment, you get a couple of porters that take your stuff up to the top of the mountain where you where you camp. And it was such a good deal that in hindsight, I probably should have questioned what the quality of the equipment was going to be like and the quality of the food. Um, so, you know, there were other groups on that trip that we saw that had gone with other tour companies. They had a, like a barbecue going at night. They were eating burgers. They had, you know, one porter per person in the group. Wow. And uh, I, I don't know. It was just like very apparent that we had gone for the budget tour, you know? Mm. So, I've got, I have to shout out this guy called Chris from Finland. Imagine this, right? We're all hiking. It's three days, two nights. We're, everyone in the group sort of experienced backpackers and hikers and stuff. This is not going to be a surprise to anyone what sort of equipment you need and what sort of attire you should be dressed in. Okay, I'm going to preface the story by saying that. Meeting point was at eight o'clock. You have to sign a little register so that they know you're on the mountain. So you go for registration and blah, blah, blah. Met up with the other people in our group. And we were told quite promptly that there was one gentleman who was running a little bit far behind. So half an hour goes by, still no sign of him. An hour goes by. All the rest of the groups are sort of making their way up the side of the mountain by this point. And then lo and behold, this pickup truck turns up and this six foot four Finnish guy jumps jumps out of the truck and he's like, oh, hey guys, how are you? The bloke is burnt to a crisp. I'm talking his skin was sizzling. I have never seen someone He
0: was lobster-esque.
1: Exactly. I've never seen someone so burnt in all of my life. His skin looked like bubble wrap, and the heat was coming off of him. I felt so, so sorry for him. Oh. Big bloke, big build. And we're all there wearing our like ankle high hiking boots, we've got, you know, backpacks on or whatever. We've all got our bandanas round our head or whatever, you know, any other sort of… Rambo paint. Yeah, yeah. We all look like we're ready for a bit of mountaineering. He was wearing a button-up shirt, jeans, full-length jeans, Crocs. (laughs) He had Crocs on and he had a duffel bag. You know, with the strap, like a satchel that goes across your...
0: Yeah, I like him. He seems like he's got a sort of quiet charisma about him, this guy.
1: With a with a snorkel hanging out of his bag. I said, why have you got a snorkel? <laughs> he, he said, isn't there a lake? I said, yeah, it's a volcanic lake. I'm not sure you're going to want to snorkel in it. And I said, Chris, what are you doing, mate? Not only are you late, you've come dressed smart, casual. <laughs> It's not a job interview.
0: <laughs> he had a job interview <laughs> at the top of the volcano. Yeah, yeah
1: it was just a, I said, what, what sort of terrain did you think we were going to face climbing a volcanic sort of yeah, mountain wearing Crocs? He was like, oh, you know, it's, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And he's such a warm, loving guy, you know, just kind of bumbling his way through life. So anyway, there we were. We, we got on our way and... I would say actually the first day we were climbing solidly for about 10 hours up to base camp. So you go to this like crater rim, right? And that's where everyone camps. It was probably about 10 hours of climbing and very, very steep. Some of it, as I said, scrambling. Some of it was through sort of undergrowth trees and what have you. But yeah, really good atmosphere, full of energy, all ready to go. Now, you camp that night. The food was pretty terrible because we're cheap, right? So we got like some fried rice with some offcuts of chicken or whatever. <laughs> now, the important thing to say, I suppose, about this trek is I've heard people quote this number, but apparently 50% of people don't make the hike until the end. They don't finish it, right? Which is scarily high. Wow. Now, we had a group of about 10. On the first day, someone quit. They didn't even make it to base camp. On the second day... Two more people quit, one of them being that Finnish guy who had the Crocs on.
0: He didn't make it? No, I was rooting for him.
1: He did summit, but after that, he was done.
0: Okay.
1: Not only was he burnt to a crisp, I mean, he was probably exhausted. (laughs) Um, His jeans were torn to shreds. (laughs) (laughs) And then at the end of the second day, another two people quit. So there was just a small group of five of us, me and my partner, my girlfriend at the time, another couple, and then this guy who was in the Belgian military.
0: Okay. So you've got the hardcore team remaining.
1: Well, yeah, we had basically, we had like one porter between two or something, if my memory serves me correctly. But because people were leaving early and having to go down the mountain, either as a couple or individuals, we were losing porters as well. So the group just ended up with us five and our leader, and we had to carry all of the stuff ourselves, like all of our own water, all of the equipment, everything for the second day and and into the third. We did it all ourselves. So it made it exponentially more difficult.
0: So it's already challenging hike has become much harder. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was incredible, but I'll, I'll go back to the the summit. So on day two, right, after that previous day, 10, 12 hours or whatever it was of climbing up to base camp, you camp around the outside that night of the rim, lots of different tents, different tour groups and stuff. It's pretty cold up there, as you can imagine. And then we woke up at 1.30 the next morning, had a quick breakfast and then started the ascent to the summit in the pitch black. Wow. And all you can see, you're climbing for hours and hours and hours. All you can see is just this constant line of headlamps.
0: Mm-hmm. I've experienced a similar thing. Yeah, it's cool, hey? It is quite amazing. You can see the route ahead of you because of the the, the other hikers.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was getting quite impatient. Everyone tries to get to the summit before the sunrise, of course, which uh, we were told happens at about 5.30, 6 o'clock. And the last, I would say the last 500 metres were absolutely killer people were just falling off either side you know giving up sitting down for ages trying to get their breath back some people were just waiting to walk back down once the line had cleared i remember thinking at the time the conversations i was having with myself i was almost trying to convince myself or justify not making it to the summit because i was so exhausted imagine the terrain the scree that we're climbing on right not only are we knackered from the day before, we no one's had enough sleep. We've slept in a tent, it's pitch black, it's freezing cold. There's just this queue of people in front of you. And, you know, every time you step forward, you slide two steps back because it's that volcanic sort of ash sand. It was so, so frustrating. And I reckon we had probably like two, three hundred meters. And I was looking at the time, I was looking at the fact it was getting slightly lighter in the sky. I thought, you've got to fucking do this. for some reason I'd put that pressure on myself and then there was this other voice that was getting stronger and stronger by the second saying it's fine if you just quit like,
0: that's fine. You start bartering with yourself. Yeah. You're like, would it really be so awful if I just accidentally fell down <laughs> back in reverse right now and slid my way into a comfortable hotel bed? Yeah,
1: you know, you can delete all the pictures and videos of the hikes and no one ever asks you about it. You don't have to tell them that you didn't make the summit before sunrise. Um,
0: much less tell it on a podcast, yeah.
1: Yeah, totally. So, you know, my partner at the time, she was like, you've got to go on without me. There's no way that I can keep up. I don't give two shits about reaching the summit before sunrise so I just kept on motoring on and uh, you know long story short mate I managed to get there probably about 10 minutes before the sun broke the horizon and the atmosphere on top of that mountain was electric you know we were so so stoked 3700 meters the uh, the summit is. And uh, we sat up there for maybe an hour. We watched the sun rise. We had a cup of tea and some biscuits. It was really, really special. But my legs were on fire. It, it's just, you know, I've never, I've never been in that situation physically where I've thought you actually don't have the physical or mental capacity to finish this.
0: I love that story, though, because it really accentuates the thing that makes hiking so special, which is the sense of achievement that you get upon getting to that end of the hike, getting to the summit of the mountain. If you were just teleported from your hostel bed to that sunrise, it would be rather meaningless But that electric atmosphere which is punctuated by the burning of your calf muscles. That is what we hike for. That's that sense of wonderment that's so synonymous with travelling in general. It's beautiful, isn't it? That's what we live for.
1: Yeah, yeah, completely. And I would love to recommend this hike to people, I really would. But as I was saying, it is very taxing. And on the way down, which lots of people would say was far worse, right? On the way down, not only are your legs trying to buckle the other way like a like a camel's would, but you're sort of going down very, very steep, no energy at all. And then, of course, because the sun has risen and it's shining sunlight on everything, it's now the day, you see what you climbed up in the dark. And it is this ridge of maybe just a few meters either side. If you stepped too far in one direction, you are gone. Like, you are just sliding down the steepest bit of mountain you've ever seen. And I said to the guide, has anyone ever fallen off? He said, yeah, yeah, I had someone last week die. I was like... Wow. Well, I, don't, I don't know how this is a tourist attraction. I honestly don't.
0: Much like my scuba diving instructor from a couple of weeks ago, this guy saved that bit of information for after you'd completed the hike. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I'm thinking, what about poor Chris and his fucking crocs? <laughs> <laughs> He's got absolutely no grip, the poor geezer. Have you heard from Chris since? No, no, I know that what lots of people do. So just on the way down, right, you go all the way down back to base camp and then further down to the base of the mountain. And then you go all the way across around the lake that's down there, up the other side of the mountain and then camp there on night two. So we had scaled up the mountain to the summit, and then all the way back down, further than base camp, around the lake, and then back up the other side in one day. And it took so long because we, you know, we took just longer out of exhaustion. A couple of people in our group maybe being slightly, um, you know, more more slow. Not me, but um, <laughs> but we then reached the next campsite in the pitch black. And this is very sharp, sort of jagged rock faces that we're climbing through and stuff. And lo and behold, because we took the cheaper option, there weren't enough headlamps for the whole group. So we were doing like one headlamp between two. And my partner at the time, she slipped down a crack and shaved the front of her shin off. I was so angry. She was fine, bless her. But we set up the tent in the dark and I don't know. I was pretty frustrated, to be completely honest with you. I just wanted it to end. (laughs) And those kind of feelings you don't really enjoy having or thinking about when you're traveling. But it's still the situation you're in, right? Like, that was the biggest thing on my plate, was the fact that my partner had just been hurt. I was absolutely exhausted. I was questioning (laughs) the kind of health and safety of the tour itself and all of the people around me. So. Yeah, just be prepared, maybe do go with a reputable tour company and uh, be prepared to to just do something that is incredible. I mean, the view at the top is sensational, but you're going to work for it.
0: The trials and tribulations of a life on the road, Adam, it's really crazy. The adversities we face, the views that we see, the friendships we make, I think all of these things What is beautiful about traveling, and what is beautiful about traveling is very much shared with what is beautiful about hiking i think sometimes it's that adversity that makes the journey so damn wonderful and that keeps us going back see if all of my adventures were just these easy going sort of ramblings through an unadulteratedly perfect world (laughs) then would i keep on traveling and i suppose the answer is no because much like hiking up a steep mountainside life challenges us but there may well potentially be a gorgeous sunrise at the top of it so let us as tropologists keep on pursuing that sunrise what do you say yeah yeah it's something it's a metaphor
1: yes get out there do it and challenge yourself
0: adam a hike up a mountain in mufangano island in kenya a hike up mount bromo in indonesia various mountains in Patagonia these are all stories that I would love to tell on this podcast I think there's so many hiking stories I can't possibly pick which one to choose I have an amazing story about this island hike in Kenya oh my goodness what an incredible thing happened on that hike I can scarcely contain it within the confines of this episode I don't know what to do I'm gonna to have to wrestle it back <laughs> into my brain and save it for another time because I do want to talk a little bit about the triple crown of hiking which is the PCT Pacific Crest Trail, Appalachian Trail, and Continental Divide hikes wow. that you can do in North America. When I first set off to Canada, these three hikes were my sole aim I wanted to achieve whilst I was there in North America. And I managed to do a grand total of zero of them on accounts of pandemic, work, monetary constraints, and all that jazz that sometimes (laughs) puts you down when you're trying to just live a nomadic lifestyle. So... I'm going to use this now as a decree to the Tropology audience and to you, Adam, that by the time this podcast reaches its 30th season, I will have done all three of those hikes. That is to say that at some point in future episodes of this podcast, I will be doing those hikes. I want to start with the Pacific Crest Trail, a hike from Mexico, up north through to canada it goes through lots of different national parks it's beautiful you carry all of your clothes and food and camping gear and tent on your back and it's a really incredible hike that's been the subject of various books and movies so that's a real aim that i want to achieve in the hiking
1: world well i know that both me and i'm sure the tropology audience The community will make sure that we get you there.
0: Maybe you'll come with me. Maybe some people from the Tripology audience will join us. Maybe we'll all go together on the PCT. What a great way to start hiking together. I think we should all hike marching through the PCT like (laughs) one big super organism. We are the Tripologists. We can connect (laughs) our backpacks together, tie little knots in the waistbands, and just stride up various mountains together.
1: Yeah, if anyone's listening to this and you're an experienced hiker, possibly with the ability to fight off bears, then. Give us an email. Let's go hiking together. Send your hiking applications into at tripologypodcast.gmail.com. Bear fighting is not a
0: requirement, but it is desirable on your <laughs> curriculum vitae, your resume. I think that we've given what can only be described as a comprehensive summary of everything there is to do with hiking whilst travelling. <laughs> we've talked about literally everything. We've not explained what gear you should wear on your feet while you're hiking. With the different benefits of different type of shoes. We've not <laughs> explained. The, you know, we've not given a top 10 of different hikes of around the world. We've basically just rambled on about a couple of stories from a couple of different times whilst we've been travelling, and once again, given a very insular view of hiking as it pertains to our own lives <laughs> and travelling. But if that's not what Topology is all about, then frankly, I don't know anything about this podcast, and neither does anyone else. So I think... What do you think? That's an episode on hiking, isn't it?
1: Yes. As you said, I don't think there is one aspect of hiking we didn't cover. So, you know, ramble being the operative word there.
0: Exactly. I think, as always, we'd like to (laughs) rambling. Yeah, I like it. (laughs) I just got it. I think that's the English reference, though, ramblers. That's fine. Yeah, I think, as always, I would like to extend my wishes to the Tripology audience to always stay safe while you're on the road, while you're hiking. One time, I was on a hike up a mountain in Calafate. <laughs> Easy for you to say. And a German girl I was with slipped and fell on her ass, which was not only embarrassing, but terribly awkward for everyone involved. <laughs> What's <that? laughs> So there we are, much like a meandering road up up through the countryside or up a mountain. My brain's just gone on its own crazy journey talking about hiking. And all of the Tripology audience, and you, Adam, you've been along for the ride. I think that, is there anything else that you want to say about hiking?
1: Well, what I do want to say is if you do like what we're doing, please, if you've got the time to leave us a review and rate the podcast, that would really help us out. We're looking to grow the podcast and we hope that you do enjoy the content that we're creating. So thanks ever so much for listening. We really appreciate it.
0: That was a beautiful, sincere note to end the podcast on. And it's that kind of sincerity that you'll only hear from someone if you're hiking with them for an extended period of time. That's where you can share stories, be sincere like Adam's just been, and just really make those human connections. Because I want to emphasize the importance of human connections when it's traveling. You know, hiking isn't about that Instagram post, isn't about that controversial tweet. It's about making... Real human connections with other people. Why not try hiking?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and Chris, the Finnish guy. Well, it's ironic because he didn't finish the hike, but he is... (laughs) He is... Uh, and, and did become a good friend of mine. So, um, you know, bless him. He was lagging usually about 40 minutes to an hour behind the rest of the group, smoking a cigarette and drinking a can of Coke. But each to their own. He got to the top, bless him. And uh, I hope you're doing well. A true inspiration.
0: And like Adam
1: has just drawn a
0: connection between the homonyms finish to mean the nationality and the word finish to mean end, we will draw this episode to a close. Having discussed everything about hiking, having shared some stories of hiking and have talked about how hiking pertains to travel as a whole. In future episodes of Topology, I'll share more hiking stories, Adam will share more tales from his life on the road, we'll discuss a plethora of different travelling activities, nomadic activities, itinerant activities, I can't wait to see where this podcast will take us, and speaking of takers, let's jump on a plane right now, a proverbial imaginary plane in our own minds as we head on to the next episode. The present feels all confining, like a box with a padlock or a lock or some sort of containing instrumentation to keep us within it, I want to break free of that box and go into the future let's head there now will you join me
1: i'd love to i'll see you there
0: let's go bye (laughs)